trying to get back to the basics of great products. Power comes from sharing information. I try to convince people to slow down. Free. Yeah. Open. This is the Soak Dice Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Soaked by Slush podcast. My name is William von der Palen and today I have the honor to introduce our new or our second team member, our newest co-host, Oona Poropuras. Hi Oona. Thanks William, it's awesome to be here. Super fun to have you here and uh, yeah, Oona's been a veteran here at Slush for many years already. She, You were uh, recently president and you now work for a VC and uh, it's very nice to have you here as a you know, kind of a flank support with some more more knowledge uh, for this podcast series. Thanks. And yeah, today uh, we have a very interesting guest uh, who's done done many interesting things uh, during his career, and and we're super happy to have you here, Phil Libin. Hello. Thanks for having me. Super nice to have you here. We usually give the word straight to our guests, so you know, uh, if you want to start out just by giving a brief um, introduction of yourself, and then we can dive into what's going on with your background. Uh, well, I'm Phil. Uh, I uh, I miss going to slush in person. It was it was a it was a fun thing to do. Hopefully, hopefully sometime soon. Um, I'm a, I'm an engineer by background, a programmer. I, I Started a, f- uh, a few companies, sold a few companies, uh, semi-retired, became a VC for for a few years, and then decided that it just wasn't particularly good at uh, at just being an investor. I wanted to build something again, so uh, co-founded uh, All Turtles, which is a, a product studio. We we try just try to make good products with as little nonsense as possible, and then uh, mm-hmm, which is our our newest product to come out of All Turtles. Uh, that's about it, and that's me in 30 seconds. That's great, and 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 that's a vision for all turtles to create uh, more products like mm-hmm and and spin off kind of new product companies, or are you going to go all in now with mm-hmm from now on? Yeah, the, the 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 mission of all turtles is to make is to just make products that are that are worthwhile that we think are going to be good for the world if they succeed, uh, and to make and to just to make them you know with as little of the kind of inefficiencies and nonsense as 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 possible. So we work with. Uh, Really great uh, founders and team members all over the world, and we, we make a bunch of different things. And we don't really care about making companies. We're not trying to like, we're not necessarily trying to optimize for making other startups uh, because I don't think the world really needs more companies. The world needs worthwhile products made by made by diverse people to solve real problems. Uh, but some of them become companies, like like mm-hmm. like if it makes more sense to spin it out as a company, then we do that. If it makes sense to just run it as a product, then we do that. We are agnostic about the uh, legal ownership of the products that we make. Okay, okay, makes sense. And I'm trying to to not be thrown off by saying mm-hmm all the time. Uh, but oh, you're doing great. <laughs> what is uh, mm-hmm? What's the mission and what's the, the idea behind it? Uh, well, the idea is uh, we just want to make everyone better on video. Um, it, 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 it's pretty straightforward. Let me, let me show you. Um, yeah, let's switch to a different thing. Here we go. Okay, so uh, we we started working on this in May uh, of last year, so right a couple of months after the pandemic started, and we were just bored. Uh, it started as a joke, you know. We started out just thinking that uh, this wasn't this wasn't something we ever intended to release as a product. We started just working at it for ourselves, just to make our meetings a little bit less uh, boring, and uh, it just caught on. It just kind of took off from there. So our our uh, our two second pitch uh, is that it's instant weekend update. 
this is a popular comedy show in, in the in the US. Uh, but that's the main idea, right? Is we just want to make it easy for people to, uh, you know, be less boring on video. Uh, and I think everyone kind of needs that in in this world. Um, and the way it works is straightforward. You just uh, it works with however you show up on video. So right now we're on Zoom, but it'll work with you know Zoom, WebEx, Cisco, where you could just make presentations or stream things to to YouTube with it. Uh, and it's meant to help you not feel like a like an anonymous head in a box, which you think we do on video. Um, so in three steps, what you do is you pick you pick the environment. So you can be in your actual background, your real room, where we have a few hundred other rooms. Uh, you can just you know you can choose whichever one. You want we have stuff for you know for classrooms and we made this for pi day a few weeks ago <laughs> uh you can do like more serious you know news news anchor style stuff um i like this one i think a lot uh and then um you have a screen and you can just show whatever you know pictures uh put anything you want on there slides blah 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 that's the main idea uh, and then you could do this with friends. You could do it with, you know, you could do multiple people. You can record things. Uh, it's a way to suck less on video. Um, seems like fun and kind of joyfulness uh, is a big part of, mm-hmm. Is that part of why you really wanted to take it further or develop it? Or has that got you hooked, the joyfulness of the product? Yeah. Uh, I think that's a really important um I think that's a really important thing. Like we have a whole uh, philosophy of, about this. Uh, everything that we make has to be, um, it has to be a, a combination of fun and useful together. Um, we call it useful. Uh, and the idea is like the useful stuff you need because that's what, you know, that's what you need to change the world. And the fun is what you need because that's how you get the, that's how you develop the mastery of it. Like if it's fun, then you don't feel like you have to learn to use it. It's just, it's just, that's how that's how it spreads. That's how people become really good at it. So, we do. We definitely focus on useful as the criteria. We stole this idea from uh, Biz Stone, who was one of our one of our investors. Uh, he said that they, this was in the early days of Twitter. They would say, "Useful was their mantra. Like everything has to be fun and useful." And so, when I heard that, I'm like, "I'm stealing that idea." So that's what we're doing here. Yeah, for those of you listening uh, to the audio version of this podcast, you should head over to YouTube so you can see what's going on with the presentations and the backgrounds. Just Otherwise, this might be a bit confusing when we comment on your background. Just a quick side note. Uh, you had this statement also that you, you said that you you want uh, or we should be aspiring to, to make things better online uh, than they are in, in real life. So is that part also of this <laughs> fun and useful, um, useful thing or, or is, it, is there like more more to that? Yeah, uh, we call that IRL plus. Uh, it stands for better than in real life. Like we want to be the plus. So the idea is, uh, I think a lot of people like early on, um, they think that stuff on video is like a poor substitute for stuff in real life. And you know, like, oh, you know, teaching on video isn't as good as teaching in real life, but maybe if I do something, you can make it almost as good. And we think the almost as good goal is like a very, very difficult to achieve and, and kind of stupid. To even try so instead of, of almost as good we say okay how do you what can you do that's like much better than what you can do in real life like what's the plus what are the superpowers that you can gain that you can gain that you just couldn't you know you couldn't do before so yeah i think i think the goal is to make things that can happen on video that are ridiculously better than what you could do if you didn't have this this technology and then as now that the world is changing again and hopefully over the next few months we're you know coming out of the pandemic um, and we, 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 we don't all have to be on video, 
um, we will re we will retain the use cases on video that are that are just better than the use cases without it. And there's there's a lot of those. And mm -hmm, what do you think are the main features that are better um, in virtual than in real life? Well, um, the, you know, the, there's there's a bunch of stuff, right? And it's not it isn't so much about like in mm -hmm, it's about for what like for what use cases. So, for example, um, if I'm uh, a, a very common use case is first is education. So people, you know, teachers and students using it. So for for teaching, um, you know, all teaching used to be done. Well, that actually, can 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 I think about it like this? Like, uh, I think that the big change that's happening in the world right now is is that everything is hybrid, um, and I mean that in a specific way. If you kind of imagine all of the kind of important life experiences or work experiences that you go through and you, you lay them out on this axis. So just for people listening, it's a line that goes from in-person to online and you kind of cross it. You do a two by two matrix of in-person to online to live and recorded. So you have these like four quadrants. Um, in the before times, you know, a year and a half ago, almost everything fit neatly into just one category, right? So like concerts were in-person and live and like, university classes were in-person and live and doctor's visits were in-person and live and YouTube videos were online and recorded and, and, and so on. And very rarely did something exist in more than one quadrant. But the whole point of hybrid is like, now we can, we can reimagine, we can rebuild almost everything to not just be in one quadrant, but to exist in all four in whatever ways make them better. So for example, university class used to just be you know, live and in person, but now we can split it up. So we can say, let's say you're in, uh, you know, let's say you're in medical school. Uh, well, like the lecture part, the part where you're like receiving information from the professor, that's definitely better online and recorded. There's no reason for like everyone to be, you know, to wake up at the same time. There's no reason for everyone to congregate into a small room and to sit there and to have to listen at the same speed as everyone else is listening. Like that doesn't make any sense, right? For just for like the, the ingestion of knowledge, like that you ought to just you ought to just take the class online. Uh, it ought to be pre-recorded using something like mm -hmm, where you can vary the speed and you can jump around and you don't have to like worry about missing something. You do it at your own time. That's much better. But then for the for the interactive um, for the for the for the questions for the Q and A, you probably the best way to do that is to still do it online because again, there's no reason to gather everyone in the same room, but to do it live. So you can ask questions and you know, can refer back to your notes and you can kind of go back and forth. But then when you need to do the lab, if you're actually like need to see patients, then you know you got to do that live and in person. So you take something like, a, like attending a university class, which used to just be in one quadrant and you can say, okay, well, a part of it is better in this quadrant and a part of it is better in this quadrant and a part of it is better in this quadrant. And I think if you apply that kind of analysis, almost everything in life is better as a hybrid thing than as only in one quadrant, with some exceptions. Like you know, I don't know, maybe like eating at a good restaurant is really not not that much that you can do, you know, online and pre-recorded. But for almost everything else, for 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 healthcare, for for learning, for entertainment, for concerts, for culture, like almost everything, there is something better if it includes video. Yeah, I want to queue online to the concerts and then hear them live. Uh, no, but but I agree with that. It's it's like. Um... It, it makes sense, and I think what this situation has done is also obviously um, kind of unlocked the black and white thinking we have with a lot of stuff, like it's either or, and, and this seems just very logical now when we've had to do this, and it probably speeds up 
a lot of this development that would have would have taken maybe a bit longer without <laughs> the necessity of of this virus. Uh, you talked about. I think it's right. I think yeah. really the, the pandemic like accelerated the future. It basically gave us, you know, it gave us the next ten years in two. Yeah, no, it, it definitely feels that way in in, in many regards. You talked about uh, interactivity. Um, since you're an engineer, how that seems like intuitively much harder to do than than you know a listen or or some listening just passively to someone but building interaction into a digital product seems much harder to do so what are some steps you maybe need to think about when when doing that well i mean i think uh, the the our, the guiding principle is useful for us right it's like everything that we think about oh, should we build this feature we're like well is it fun and if the answer is no then we're not going to build it and is it useful and if the answer is no then we're not going to build it so we don't do anything that's like purely whimsical and we don't do anything that's like purely utilitarian that doesn't actually you know accomplish some that isn't also like a pleasure to use um and that's the filter um so for example um we in in the spirit of 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 uh of, of IRL plus like a small example is we have this thing called big hands so if i um you know if, if i make a, an emoji with my hands i can make a heart like i get like a big beating heart right or if i do like a thumbs up i get like a big hulk green foam thumb right or you know thank you or something and like this is a reaction right so the point here is if i'm just like a little box in a, in a zoom call and someone else is talking and i just want to appreciate that like i really like it like you know i make a heart and i get this big smiling you know heart like this and the next time that i'm in a that i'm in an in-person meeting right i don't know when that's going to be but the next time that i'm like having a, some kind of business discussion you know in person and someone is saying something that i really like and i like you know, and I hold up my hands in a heart and I don't get a giant heart, I'm going to be like, well, what the hell? Like something is broken. Like something is broken with this reality because like obviously when I go like this, I want to see a giant beating heart because, you know, why else did I do that? If I do a thumbs up, I don't want to see a bony human thumb. I want to see a big green Hulk thumb, right? So I can do that when I'm, when I'm in this interactive hybrid mode. I can't do that when I'm not. And so it's like, this is obviously like a trivial example but I think it's pointing in the right direction. So we decided to put this feature in because it's useful. Um, it is genuinely useful to be able to signal visually because that's one of the things that's missing in a lot of video communication is like the nonverbal communication. It's very useful to signal visually whether you agree on something or you love it or you have a question or you want to raise your hand, like that's useful. Um, it, but of course, it's also really, really fun to like make a heart with your hands and have a big, you know, a big beating, smiling foam heart, you know, pop up. So. I think it's a criteria we use like for for everything and this you know the, the big hands is something that could be demoed in 10 seconds other things take a little bit longer but that's the the general idea yeah no, that makes sense when you put it like that uh, you know looking from the outside it just maybe seems like a, a green thumb but when but that, that's interactive I, I agree um one other thing that comes to mind when when talking about uh, building products that are that are hybrid and uh and, or try to make things better online is quality and and uh, you know everyone has experience with using maybe subpar subpar quality products online yeah. with with really bad ones and then you know this year has has maybe developed many of the products but how do you view quality and what are what things make up a good quality in in online products yeah that's you know I think there's a bunch of different dimensions in, in 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 quality. There, especially over for video, there's like the basic what what we used to think of as quality, which is uh, 
you know, how good does it look? How good does it sound? How choppy is it? You know, that kind of stuff. And there's been a lot of, a lot of progress made, not by us, just by, you know, Zoom and Microsoft and Cisco and everyone else kind of around this. Like the, the plumbing for doing, for passing video around is much better than it used to be. Uh, then there's quality like reliability. How often does it, you know, how often does it fail? Again, that's something that that's very important that has been a huge progress just in the past year on just making it like reliable. Then there's quality in terms of um, how, like whose job is it to understand it? This is probably the biggest thing that, that Zoom did is before Zoom, like before the pandemic and before Zoom, if, you know, we, all, we had video conferencing, right? We were all using, you know, Google Meet or WebEx or whatever in the office. And if it didn't work, like if I walk into a conference room and it doesn't work, uh, it's my IT guy's problem, right? It's not like, it's not my problem to understand it or fix it. It's like, it's the IT person's problem. But with Zoom and with a pandemic, like everyone is expected, like my mom is expected to be able to like get Zoom working. And so it had to become much higher quality, meaning just much more accessible and understandable. And that, as you know, is like very often that's harder to do than like the, the, the you know, getting the networking to be fast enough. So that's made like huge progress. Then there's like all sorts of things about, well, how, how, you know, how do you learn, how to use it, how fun it is, how fun is it, how good does it look? And so these are all just like multiple, you know, it's like an onion skin. You just peel these away. There's multiple levels of, of what quality means. I think that for what we're doing, it was very important for us to be clear about what we're trying to optimize for, which is we're trying, we are a performance product. We help you be a better performer, like a, a micro performer, but we help you be more effective and engaging on video by performing better. So if we help you like have a little bit more fun, be more relaxed, be more effective, then that's, that's quality for us. We're not trying to make it realistic as you saw with the giant hearts and stuff like that. Like it's not, we're not trying to fool anyone. We're just trying to make it, we're trying to make you more effective as a performer, make you a little bit less boring. And I think we can achieve that to a very high level of quality, even if like, you know, even if obviously you can tell that it's not real because we're not, we're not trying to be real. We kind of, you know, you know, deep fakes, like the, uh, we, I think we're, we're, we're pioneering a new field that we're calling shallow fakes. <laughs> like we, want, <laughs> we want it to be obvious that this stuff is quote unquote fake. That's not the point. The point isn't to deceive you. The point is to, to make it fun, make it effective. Yeah, shallow fakes. Yeah, <laughs> that should be a thing. Um, okay, Thil, you've also you you mentioned briefly in in your thirty second pitch that you've you've obviously done a few things already in your career. You've uh, been involved heavily with building Evernote, and and some some other things also before. Mm -hmm, but um, maybe comparing mm -hmm, to Evernote, uh, what are some some differences and maybe some similarities as well? Has it been completely different building something now during the pandemic or has has it been quite similar, uh, the stories? I mean, they're both, uh, they're, they're similar and different. I actually think some of the similarities are, are really interesting because I, I haven't had them other than with Evernote. And mm -hmm. so uh, one thing about Evernote is when, when we were building Evernote, uh, Evernote was already my third company. So this mm -hmm. is my fifth. <laughs> I, don't, I obviously can't like learn the lesson. Uh, and, and a lot of this, it's been a lot of, a lot of the same people that were with me for my first company that I'd ever known. Mm -hmm. So our first couple of companies, we were doing the very traditional way where we were making the product for customers, right? We, were, we, would, we would always ask like, what do the customers want? Our, cust our first company was a, one of the first dot-com, you know, e-commerce companies. So our customers were stores. We would say like, what do stores want? 
second company was a security company making like digital security for banks and for governments. And so we have to be like, what do banks want? What do governments want? And so by the time we like, by the time we started at Evernote, um, we were sick of asking what customers wanted. We didn't care. We were like, we already spent, you know, however long it was, 10 years thinking about what customers want. Now we just want to make something for us. So what do we want? And at Evernote, we were making the product for ourselves. And that was, a, that was that's like cheating. Like it goes so much faster. It's literally like a cheat code. Uh, like if you're playing a video game and you know the cheat code, like that's what making products for yourself feels like. Because, um, you know, it takes like, uh, it takes 10,000, let's say iterations to make a really good product. And so in our previous company, we were making stuff for, for the government you know, each iteration would take like a year and a half because you had to like deploy something and then go through a feedback process. So like a year and a half later, you would like ship the next version. So if each iteration takes a year and a half and you got 10,000 iterations, it's like 15,000 years before your product's going to be really great. And I, just, I don't want to wait 15,000 years. But, you know, at Evernote, we were making it for ourselves. And so we could iterate every 20 minutes. Like every time you make a small change, you're like, well, is this better or worse? And, you know, 10,000 iterations in 20 minutes. I don't know, I should do that math at some point. And it's for like a couple of years probably, right? So you can actually make like a really, you can get through your 10,000 iterations like in a couple of years. Somebody should check my math on that because I haven't, I just realized as I was saying, I should have done this math ahead of time. Um, so it, it like, it just goes so much faster. Um, but there's also a lot of problems with making things for yourself. And so after Evernote at, at all turtles and all the stuff I've been investing in and involved in, we specifically went back to, well, how do we solve problems for other people? Because there's a lot of people in the world who are like more deserving of having their problems solved than us. So we, we made a lot of stuff that wasn't for us. It was for, for other types of customers, for other communities, for other people, which is harder. But by then we were like, well, this is the fourth company. We maybe we know what we're doing, you know, we can, we can do it. But with, mm -hmm, you know, for, for the first time for me in, you know, since Evernote, we were making it for ourselves again, because like we never intended for this to be a real product. It started as a joke. We were just making it literally only for us because we were just goofing around. So I like remember now how, how much like cheating it feels like to make something just for us because it can go so much faster. And so, yeah, it went ridiculously fast um, because we have an amazing team and we're making stuff for ourselves. And, and so we can do it quickly. And Hopefully we learn some lessons about what are the mistakes from that? Like what are the, what, what goes wrong when you make products for yourselves from, from, from Evernote and from before. So hopefully we can now combine the cheat code of how fast we can go and be smart enough to avoid some of the pitfalls. That's really interesting. Um, like you said, this is already your fifth company. So how does this compare to your first, second, or even third company? You must have more resources, more networks, more experience, more understanding. Um, so how is the process different uh, compared to the previous ones? Well, I mean, it's different in a lot of ways, but, uh, you know, one thing that I think maybe we don't talk about enough in the entrepreneurial community is, uh, you know, a big difference is I'm a lot older. Uh, you know, I'm 49. Uh, I started my first company, I don't, I don't know how old I was, I was probably like 22, 23 or something. And, you know, it's interesting, like, like let's say... Um, Let's say you're a skier. Let's say you're like a really good skier. I'm definitely not. I don't do any sports, but let's say you're, you're a great skier and you know, you're skiing downhill and you're doing jumps and you're just like a really good skier, you know, almost Olympic level in your twenties, you're like 22 and you're a great skier. And uh, you know, you know that when you're skiing, it's like really hard and you're kind of like damaging your knees, but you know, like that's, it's, you understand that, right? You like try to take care of your knees, but if you're a great skier when you're 22, by the time you're 50, 
you've had like many more, you've had, you know, an extra 28 years of experience at skiing. So are you a better skier at 50 than you are at like 22? Like, no, of course, like you're better in some ways, like you're probably still skiing. You have more experience, you understand stuff more, but your knees aren't what they used to be at 22 because, and people understand this intuitively. They don't expect it to be easier at 50 skiing than at 22 because people think that knees are hardware. And so they kind of get it. But for some reason, people think that your brain is, is not hardware, that it's software. And it isn't, your brain is also hardware. And like, and, and, and being an entrepreneur and running companies is like, is a very, is like a brutally difficult thing. And it, it creates a lot of like, a lot of stress, it creates a lot of damage. You have to take care of yourself, but you can't, you can't do the same things at, at, you know, at 50 as you could do at 22 as an entrepreneur and, and as a CEO. But I think, I think as a culture, we don't really talk about that. And we don't understand it. We just assume that it's like, well, yeah, it's, you know, you've already done five companies and you have more money and it's 30 years later. So you must, it must be easier. And like, it's, it isn't, it's harder. Uh, and yeah, I, I know, I, I, I know, I understand, you know, you can't see the air quotes if you're listening, maybe I have more experience. I understand more things, but you know, just like with skiing. Yeah. Maybe I understand more things as a skier, but I'm still, you know, I'm still 30 years older. So that, that's a big part of it. So I think like, uh, I think this is harder. I think company number five is significantly harder than company number one or two, just, because I'm a lot older, but I also have to be smarter about it. So, you know, we find ways to mitigate. That's a really good point. Um, question, do you think you're better at, like you said, you have to take care of yourself as an entrepreneur and it's hard. Do you think you've gotten better at taking care of yourself um, along those companies? I have, yeah, but that, but that took a long time. And, uh, and that was only recent, like I would say only in the past like five years that I really start thinking about that and understanding it. And I think partially because again, this is a cultural thing, like no one tells you about this. <laughs> if you're a championship skier, like people tell you like, hey, you got to take care of yourself and it's going to get harder. And like, there's the people understand this. And like, for whatever reason, people just don't understand that it's actually mentally and emotionally, it's the same dynamic. And so, yeah, like I, I, I have gotten a lot better at it. That's why I'm still doing this. Uh, and it's why I still can do it. But I kind of wish I'd have, I kind of wish I would have started in my twenties instead of in my forties. Yeah. Many entrepreneurs say that, uh, but I think it's probably difficult when, when you're strapped for time and you're young, so you don't feel your knees, knees yet. Uh, I wanted to, to tap I, and, into and a lot of this is like, sorry, just like a lot yeah. of, a lot of, you know, investors are at fault for, for some of this, um, uh, startups are very much shortcuts. Like the pressure, the pressure on startup founders, especially young ones, is to take as many shortcuts as possible to just go fast. Because investors don't really mind if you fail that much. They just don't want to spend that much time. They wanted, they wanted to have a chance of a massive success. But if it's going to fail, they want you to fail quickly. They don't want like the worst case scenario for an investor is a startup that takes ten years to fail, right? Because then they've just wasted like ten years. They want it to succeed big or they want it to fail quickly. It's like, those are like the two, the two best options. And so people are, I think, encouraged to take shortcuts, to do everything as quickly as possible. And that leads to a lot of very unhealthy habits, both for the founders, but also for the culture they create and for the world in general. I think like a lot of what's wrong with the world right now, with like the damage that tech companies have done, a lot of that could be traced back to 100% of the incentive for these founders in the early days was <laughs> move fast and break things. And it's just like, it's just, actually turns out not not a great that is not a great mentality for anyone other than early stage investors not a great mentality for employees not a great mentality for founders certainly not a great mentality for the rest of the world yeah no, I, I agree 
you mentioned the cheat codes earlier and, and uh, how maybe that isn't the right strategy to go about most products building for yourself. But what are some, do you have some takeaways from those cheat codes that you could apply uh, since you said you're now trying to combine those two into, into the perfect <laughs> product model, if you will? Yeah, or, you know. If not perfect, at least at least better. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think the stuff that you know that at Evernote that we realized uh, was a weakness of building things for ourselves is we took it a little bit too literally. And so, for example, if you only build things for yourself, you never build new user features because none of you are new users. Right? <laughs> Everyone who works for the company is like a power user, and so you're constantly you're just constantly optimizing for power user features, and you you like lose sight of what it's like to like use it for the first time. Um, and so it took us years at Evernote to really start paying attention to like, well, what's the first launch experience? Because, you know, six years into the company, it was six years ago since I first, you know, since my first use experience of Evernote, I don't remember what it was like. Um, so it took us, a, it took us too long to start paying attention to onboarding to new users. And, and hmm, we're doing that immediately. Like we just, the new version that we just released last week the Mac 1.4, it has a, we made all these like really beautiful, very, very quick tutorials, like interactive tutorials about how to use the product. Yeah, so if anyone's, if anyone's like wondering, just yeah, download it and click the little, click the learn button. You can kind of see videos of this, but this is the kind of stuff that like, we have to force ourselves to realize that we have to do because we're not building the product for ourselves. We're building it for people who haven't used the product. And, you know, and that actually, it that actually takes a long time. Like it took a long time to make the tutorial videos. Like, and, and it's, it, it's almost hard to justify that from a power user perspective. Cause it's like, well, yeah, we made these tutorial videos, but in the same time, we could have made these like 10 other features, but you know, the new user experience is very important. Um, and of course it's also like the, 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 the other big problem is if you're really only focusing on your use cases, you're kind of blind to the larger use cases in the world, which may be adjacent, but more virtuous. So at mm -hmm, we're really paying attention to uh, education use case, even though that's not directly for us, uh, because I think we can just have a big impact on education. And I think, I think education is the thing that needs, is the most important thing in the world that needs to improve, especially in the US, but, but you know, globally. Um, and so like we're, we're, we're going out of our way to talk to a lot more students and teachers and administrators and try to make the education use cases because we think they're not that different from what we want but they're different enough where we do need to specifically like understand them. So that, that's kind of how we're thinking about it is I guess the first, the first step is just the awareness that there are problems when you're making stuff for yourself. Like just understanding that is like a big first step because then you can start, you know, deciding when to, when to deviate from it. Yeah. What about the future then? Uh, since you have your space background, we can go, go a bit <laughs> into the future. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, we, you, you said that maybe we got, you know, the next 10 years in two years, uh, how do you see this, uh, hybrid future? You, you already mentioned that, um, uh, probably more stuff should be hybrid and almost nothing is, is better as, you know, uh, completely in real life or maybe completely digital for that matter. How do you see this evolving uh, in the future and, and what does that mean for also, you know, startup founders now building their products? Should they lean into this hybrid model much more heavier or, or what should they do? Yeah, I think, um, I think there's a, there's a gigantic change, which is uh, happening right now, which is right at the beginning of, which um, I'm just trying to figure out what it all means. Uh, and the change is, um, 
for the first time ever, for the first time in the history of the universe, um, many people, already a few hundred million people worldwide, um, there's now a, a disconnect between where they live and, 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 and where they work. And that, like, that's just been never true at scale before. All of our countries, all of our cities, all of our infrastructure is based around this concept of like, you live somewhere close to where your job is. And so that's how cities like happen, like literally going back, you know, thousands of years. And that's how all of our like thinking about, about education and retirement and savings, like it, it's all happened around this idea that there's this like, there's this tether, like here's the job. And then there's like a really, really short rope and you live somewhere around that. And all of a sudden, like that, that is not true anymore for a large, significant, a significant portion of the population. Like it used to be that that's not true for like a very small percentage of the population. But now, you know, somewhere between 20 and 40% of all of us, that's true for. Like we're, I'm never going back to an office. Our companies are never going to go back to an office. Um, and so right now in the U.S., there's probably 40 to 50 million people that can live wherever they want without worrying about work and work where they work. Worldwide, it's a few hundred million. It's soon, it's soon going to be a billion people. And that changes literally everything. Like the bones of our society will change because of this over the next few years. And it'll happen pretty quickly because, because the, the, the triggering change was so dramatic. This would have happened anyway. But before the pandemic, it would have taken you know, 20 years to kind of get to the point where for this larger percentage of the population, distributed work was fine. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, we just we just cut, you know, 15 years out of that equation. So the triggering event happened so suddenly that like all, everything else that follows is going to be vastly accelerated. And there's going to be a lot of a lot of massive opportunities and a lot of problems created. And I think like our our role as technologists and as, and as entrepreneurs is to like lean into the to, to the superpowers. Like what is the most that we can do with the new opportunities and you know, and as much as possible, mitigate the problems. Like we have to do, we have to do both. So we've been, we've been kind of actively thinking through, okay, you know, what's going to break and how do we, how do we try to help with that? And, and where are the opportunities to make it better? Uh, and I think there's like infinite space in that for, for kind of everyone else. So if I was, if I was, if this wasn't my fifth company, if this was my first, I would definitely be thinking about, okay, let me just play this out. So now many, 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 many people can live, live the life they want to live. You know, we have a slogan at, at Old Hurdles and, and, at, mm -hmm, and we decided we're not going back to the office. Our slogan is um, uh, work where you have the best job, live where you have the best life. Like, it's as simple as that. So you take that slogan, work where you have the best job, live where you have the best life. And you say, what does it mean? What does it mean for the world? And then you, you, there's of the thousands of opportunities and problems, you pick the one that you want to help with. Following on that, uh, I have two questions. Um, first, what do you think that means for the cities? You started with that's how cities were kind of built. Uh, people came there for work. Um, do you think that people are going to now choose their living um, standards differently? And secondly, what does that mean for companies for especially uh, recruiting and compensation? Um, yeah. I mean, those are really big questions. And I don't, I don't think anyone knows exactly what it you know what it means other than those things will change significantly you know and and you know so the change is what's inevitable and 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 the volume of change is what's inevitable what isn't inevitable is how much of the change is terrible and how much of the change is great like that's up to us so like we, we're not going to hold it back we just have to make it 
as good as possible and mitigate all the terrible parts. But there's going to be some terrible parts and there's going to be some great parts. And so like that's, we have agency in that, right? That's like, this is what this like rigorous optimism means. Like my, I am, my philosophy in life is rigorous optimism, which means I think that the, the world will improve and it's my job to make it so. Like it won't improve unless I do the work to, to improve it. Like that's, that's the philosophy that we try to like cultivate and, and you know, the people who work with is rigorous optimism. So for cities, yeah, it's going to be massive change. Already is. Like I, I left, right? I was in San Francisco uh, for, I don't know, 13 years. I, 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 I am now talking to you from uh, rural Arkansas. Um, I don't know, like, I don't know if I'm going to be here, you know, forever or not, whatever. Basically, I just wanted, like, I kind of said, yeah, we don't have an office anymore, so I can be anywhere. I wanted a, 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 a less stressful place in San Francisco to just wait getting vaccinated and then kind of figure it out. Uh, and I don't think I'm going to live in a city anymore because I never really wanted to live in a city. I just hate commuting. And so I lived in the city just because that was where, that was the closest place where you can get a bunch of people where I didn't have to commute for two hours. I only had to commute for, you know, 40 minutes. But now that I don't have to commute and nobody who works in any of my companies has to commute. This is amazing, right? Like a hundred percent of our employees spend zero minutes commuting. I don't know how we would ever like give that up. Um, so yeah, so I've moved out a bunch of people, many, many of my friends, maybe more than half of them are, are leaving big cities and, and going somewhere else. But that's just like the current wave, you know, what happens after that? In some ways that'll really improve big cities because part of the problem was they were really congested and, you know, too expensive. So having a little bit fewer people maybe drops the price a little bit. Those could be really good things. On the other hand, a lot of the tax base leaves and so there's maybe less money. So maybe some of the problems becomes worse. But then we have to rethink what, what taxes even mean anymore. Like at what states or cities or countries do you get taxed for this? Um, so yeah, it's all, it's all changing. But our, our philosophy is um, work where you have the best job, live where you have the best life. And all 100% of our job listings are global. So we hire people for all of our positions everywhere in the world. We have people all over the US and Canada and in, in, in Europe, all over Europe, all over Asia. Uh, in Australia, um, you know, yeah. So that means for like compensation and salaries, I think, uh, and that's also interesting. So we we're moving to a model, you know, we're doing we're actually doing the math right now. We're moving to a model where, in an ideal world, in a few years, where you live should make zero impact on on what you earn. Your your compensation, your salary should be a hundred percent based on your contribution to the company, right? Why do I care where you are? your compensation should be based on what you do, 100%. So we're moving towards that. Um, initially, I think we're gonna have kind of a country level compensation. So like in the US, we pay everyone, we, like we'll move to this model the next few months once we kind of do the you know, performance reviews and everything, but we'll move to a model where the, the, the salaries are, are purely based on role, they're not based on location. So if you live, you know, if you're a level three engineer in San Francisco, you make the same amount of money as a level three engineer in, you know, in Arkansas. Um, that's going to be hard to do, but we can, you know, we're going to get there pretty soon. And then hopefully eventually we'll just be able to do that, you know, more globally. But the ultimate vision is, yeah, like what, you know, your contribution should, should determine how much you make, not, not your location. You can live wherever you want. Yeah, I totally get why we built cities and all the structures around that. N nothing of the, you know, no growth would have been probably possible without it. But when you put it like that, it seems like... <laughs> stuff needs to be changing and is going to change quite uh, drastically in the next decades at least 
So well, and really many structures, fast. yeah, yeah, and many structures seem ridiculous. Like commuting, for instance, it it seems like a very very bad idea in in every way. Two hours, like I think the global average is something like two hours a day, like an hour each way. Yeah, like imagine. Yeah, to go imagine to work, if, like, not to do something fun to to go. Yeah, to and, go and to work. well, like let's let's just say my company had always been the case where nobody commuted. I don't know somehow magically, like we made a company and we're already at you know a few hundred people and no one ever commuted. And then like tomorrow I go into the office, let's say, and I like, gather everyone together and I'm like, hey, everyone gather around for an all hands. Um, I've got a new idea. I'm going to ask all of you to waste two hours every day sitting in traffic. And like, yeah, it's like really unhealthy and really stressful. And yeah, it, it's not productive because you can't work. And yeah, it's not really fun. And yeah, you're not spending time with your family. And yes, it's bad for the environment. But, you know, two hours, 100% of the people every day, let's just do it. Let's just Let's do that, right? Like, that's crazy. People would be like, the CEO is insane. I would get fired immediately. <laughs> um, but that's kind of what we used to ask people to do. And all these companies that are like rushing to get back to the office, like, really? Now, a lot of companies will have no choice. They'll have to, you know, they have to go back because the kind of work they do. But if you like, if you're hiring programmers and designers and you're going to ask them to commute, that is a crime. What the hell? Obviously, you shouldn't do that. Now, should they live in cities? Well, yeah, but that's a totally personal choice. Some people will want to because like, look, I'm frankly, like I'm a little bit tired of, you know, the food in Arkansas is I can get any type of chicken wings that I want. That's about it. Like I can get a lot of different chicken wings delivered. I love chicken wings, but it's been, I've been a few months. Like I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of okay now. Like maybe once I get vaccinated, going to have a nice, a nice restaurant that, that, that isn't chicken based. So, you know, like some people would say, no, I want to, I want to live in the, in the middle of the cultural center. I want, you know, I want the, the fancy restaurants. I want the museums. I want the concerts. Great. Those people can live in cities. Hopefully the cities are become a lot cheaper. Uh, if other people say, I want, I want the nature. I want, I want great weather. I want beautiful scenery. I want outdoors activity. I want to go skiing. Uh, great. They'll, they'll do that. Um, you know, what I care about is more like my, my immediate environment. So I'm probably not going to be in a city, but I'm probably going to be near a city. I'm probably going to wind up living somewhere within like a 40 minute drive to a major city so that when I feel like having like really good food, I can, you know, I can, I can go to some good restaurants, but I don't need to do that every day. I don't even eat every day. So, um, you know, most of the days I'll be in a, in someplace nice. So that's probably going to be my choice, but I think it, people will make different choices. Yeah, no, uh, it sounds like a, a good vision, I think, and it sounds like an interesting future. So definitely looking forward to that, and and also wishing you best of luck with mm -hmm and and everything, all turtles and and everything else. It's been a pleasure talking you. to you. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, pleasure's all mine. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, thank you, Orna, for for hosting your first podcast, and uh, also thanks to everyone listening and tuning in. Um, Leave a comment and tell us if you're ever going to commute again. See you in the next episode. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed your visit to that conversation as much as we did. Now, if you want to stay updated and keep in touch with us, please subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and all other podcast platforms. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and then Facebook. You guessed it, Soap by Slush. Thank you people for listening. Bye-bye.